All right, good morning. So good to be with you again. And um, what a blessing that special was. Just to use those instruments to just bless our hearts and we can hear the words in our mind as they're playing. And I appreciate it. It's good to be with you again. And I want to say a special good morning to those joining us online. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us this morning. The other thing I want to mention before I forget is the floral arrangement in front. It's just absolutely beautiful and fitting to the pulpit, the whole setting. And I don't know if I've ever commented on it before, but all, all the floral arrangements are beautiful when we come here. But this one caught my eye this morning, and um, I appreciate that ministry, who, whoever it is who does that. Beacon Baptist Church and Pastor Blaylock and his family have been a great blessing and encouragement to our lives, and we want to wish them and you a happy new year this morning. It's the first Sunday morning of 2024, and I want to encourage you never to take what you have here for granted. Uh, this is a unique place and God's hand of blessing is upon it. And so, pray for your pastor, pray for your church, and give God thanks that he has led you to be here and to be a part of this work. This morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, and eventually in the message I will refer to Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16, we'll get to that, but the gist of the message is going to be in Romans chapter 12, so if you'd find your place there, I, I'd appreciate it. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity we have to meet together on the first Sunday of 2024. We thank you for the manifold blessings of the last year. We thank you for your protection and provision. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done in and through our lives. We thank you for this ministry. We thank you, Lord, for the consistency of this ministry. I pray this morning for Pastor Blaylock, pray for Ben, that you touch them and bring them back to good health, perfect health. We thank you, Lord, that there are so many to stand in the gap to serve through this church. We thank you, Lord, that this church has lived up to its name, a beacon in Jupiter and in the state of Florida. And we ask that you continue to bless them throughout 2024. Give Pastor Blaylock wisdom and direction for his life and the life of this church. As we come now to the word of God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will help us to concentrate and focus on God's word, illuminate it to our minds, our hearts, and most of all, Lord, I pray you help us to understand the importance of obeying it. And so we wait upon you now and ask that you speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So today being the first Sunday of 2024, my mind automatically went to New Year's resolutions. And anytime I say New Year's resolutions at the beginning of the year, I see smiles on people's faces. Because so often we make resolutions that end by the second week of January. Eat less, exercise more. Be kinder and gentler. Save more, spend less. Stop clicking on Amazon. <laughs> Remember when Amazon was just a place that sold books? No, we shop in our pajamas because of Amazon. So when we think of the new year, we think of change. Brother Andy mentioned it today in his announcements and prayers. Change, a word we use a lot, especially at the beginning of the year. I read a quote by a philosopher who lived 500 years before the birth of Christ, and he said, there is nothing permanent except change. Interesting quote. Of course, he's using the word change as a noun and not a verb. And so he's using a kind of a play on words, and his point is that change will forever be present in all of our lives. But what causes change? And again, I'm not referring to intentions. We all know the truth about intentions. They always look better on paper than they do in reality. So I'm talking about deliberate, intentional changes that will make a difference in our lives. What causes us to make these changes? I want to just share four circumstances with you which cause people to make a change in their life, and then I want to focus on one. Uh, each one of these that I mentioned is, is a topic in and of itself that could be developed and discussed and create conversation. Interesting, because, you know, we, we reflect on our own lives when we think about these. But, but here are four that I just want to um, mention to you this morning. Circumstances which cause people to make a change in their life. Number one, people change when they hurt so much that they have to change. So someone will say, I can't keep getting up every morning and going to bed every night and feeling to, like this. I must change and fill in the blank. And then people change when they see or hear enough that they are inspired to change. So that's talking about motivation through influence. James Carnegie was my history teacher and I don't remember one thing that he taught me about history. But he inspired me with his quotes and his advice, even though some of them were very brief. Some of them have stayed with me my entire life. One of them was, nothing beats a failure but an effort. 
And I think the reason that he focused that quote on me was because in my high school days, there were about 32 or 33 boys in my class, and I was always coming 32nd or 33rd every year. And the teachers would always say the same thing. Hugh has potential, but he does not make an effort. So he kind of pointed that to me. Nothing beats a failure but an effort. Thank the Lord I was able to turn that around in my later years. And then number three, people change when they receive enough that they are able to change. And that is kind of referring to resources that are gained, either through gifts or through increased earning power. So there's a young lady who applied to be a police officer down in Fort Lauderdale, and she went and she wasn't accepted. She wasn't hired. And so her mom asked me to talk to her, and I said, why do you think they didn't hire her? And she said, well, I couldn't compete with all the other applicants who had a college degree. So I said, well, take four years out of your life. You're in your 20s. Take four years out of your life, get the degree, and apply again. She's been a police officer in Fort Lauderdale now for two years. So she was able to increase her earning power because she sacrificed four short years. But for a 21-year-old, uh, four years is like an eternity. It's not. So if you want to increase your earning power so that you can change, Sometimes you just have to sacrifice those few short years. And then number four, people change when they learn enough that they want to change. And this is the one I want to spend some time on this morning in light of the fact that we're at the beginning of the year. People change when they learn enough that they want to change. And my focus is to those who have trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Those who know without a doubt that if they died today, they would go to heaven. Because Jesus Christ has forgiven them of their sins and, and now lives in their heart by faith. If you have never trusted Christ, then please don't let this day go by without accepting him. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus paid that price, that wage, that debt that we owed. He was buried and then he rose again. And if we believe that, ask him to forgive us and accept us as Savior, the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When an individual gets saved, they have a desire to change. They want their life to change. So if somebody claims to be a Christian, professes to be a Christian, but there's no desire to change, then something is wrong. And God is never wrong. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away and behold all things are become new. That's the word of God. 
So change is inevitable after salvation, but we should not be satisfied with that initial change. Assurance of going to heaven when we die. That's elementary, that's basic. We shouldn't be satisfied with that and say, well, that's, that's it. That's like wanting to stay in first grade and just repeat ABCs and counting from one to 10 for the rest of our lives spiritually. We should have a desire to grow. We should have a desire to learn. We should have a desire to change. Last week, as I stood before our church over in Jensen Beach, I, I asked the question, as we face this coming new year and we look over 2023, do we see changes and growth in our spiritual life? We should, amen? We should. And if there are no changes, then we ought to go to the Lord and say, Lord, there is something wrong. What do I need to change in my life so that I can see growth at the end of 2024? I can see change. The Lord doesn't want us to be satisfied with basic, fundamental, elementary changes. He wants each one of us to reach our full potential which is a process. And this process is called sanctification. Sanctification. Noticeable, indisputable Christian characteristics that are evidence in our life. And if we yield to God's process, our lives will be completely transformed or changed. And this is what brings us to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is an extremely important verse in the life of every believer. Extremely important. And so I want us to consider some factors relating to this verse this morning. And by the way, Paul uses the phrase, be ye transformed. It's the same thing as change. Be ye changed. Transformed. So the first fact I want to consider is this. Transformation or change requires patience. We've all seen that magnet or a sticker in somebody's office. Be patient with me. God is not through with me yet. The process of change in the life of a Christian takes time, especially those of us who got saved later in life, after careless living. In my life, it took years to build those bad habits, so obviously it's going to take a little while before those habits begin to come out of my life. And we find that some of the habits that placed us in bondage and shackled us in our unsaved life are some of the same habits that we struggle with, even as Christians. Because you see, even though we know Christ as Savior, we still have the old nature. When I first got saved, I couldn't understand that. I thought I was going to be perfect. Honestly, I was so naive. And then after a while, I said, but, but I still have some of those desires. 
And my pastor gave me a little book. It was a little blue and white book about that big, and it was The Two Natures. That thing changed my life because I understood that even though I'm a Christian, I'm a child of God, I'm born again, I still have to battle and wrestle this old nature for the rest of my life. That's why Paul wrote those two passages talking about that which I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I should do, or the things that I don't want to do, those are the things I, I keep doing. Now, if the Apostle Paul wrestled with that, how about us? So we need to understand that. But he also says in Romans 6 that we don't have to have sin having dominion over us anymore. We don't have to be a slave to it anymore. We don't have to just automatically yield to it anymore. We can now have victory through Jesus Christ. Victory through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside us. But it takes time. Some Christians just give up, you know, because they think that they're a failure. Some Christians look at others and they say, man, that person has it down pat. They're on easy street. They're just living cool. But I tell you this, you'd be shocked if you knew who struggled with problems every day. Who has a good facade, but on the inside they battle temptation and anxiety and fear and self-doubt and pessimism. But they keep on keeping on and they keep trusting the Lord and they keep asking God to strengthen them and help them. Struggling. But their faith keeps them going, keeps them strong. Many a child of God has quit because they feel that the path is just too difficult. What we must always focus on is the fact that we can accomplish nothing in our own strength. Brother Terry alluded to the date of the song that we sung. And one of the songs that we love and we sing is, was written by George Duffield Jr. in 1858. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. 1858. And we still sing it and still enjoy it. And I said to myself, just like you said, the same things that they were struggling with 200 years ago are the same things that we're struggling with today. Because we're all in the same family of God. We're all on the same path. We all have to deal with the old nature. But God has given us the blueprint for life so that we know how to grow and we know how to overcome and how to be forgiven and how to walk in the strength of Christ. Paul said in Philippians 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Strengthens me. If we try to live this Christian life on our own, we're going to fail. He says in Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing that he had, which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So we, we need to depend on him not on our own strength. This is why we start the day with him and end with him. And here is an insight. 
Our transformational growth takes place in advancing steps, in advancing levels. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. So as God reveals truth to us in his word, and we believe it and apply it, he reveals more truth. We believe it and apply it, he reveals more truth. And so the logic is, the older we become in Christ, walking with him, is the more we should see growth in our life. And as young Christians, we should say, that's what I desire. Not to be like so-and-so, but to be more like Jesus. So it's exciting to be a Christian, to know that there's more to come and more to learn and more to grow if we don't quit, if we don't give up. So transformation requires patience, growth, change, which is what we're talking about this morning, requires patience. Secondly, transformation or change is personal. Change is personal. No one forces us to do this. No one forces us to yield to the process. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Nobody is going to, you know, put a gun to our head. Many, many years ago, my wife and I went and, and took a vacation to the Bahamas. And, you know, back in those days, man, if she said jump, I'd say how high. Now she says jump, and I said, I got arthritis, baby. <laughs> Good excuse. If I don't want to do anything around the house, I just limp, you know. <laughs> but we went to Nassau, and we got manipulated <laughs> to get a timeshare. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Y'all feel my pain, don't you? <laughs> 30 years. And then you call them up and say, listen, man, I can't afford this. I'm on a fixed income. We put you in receivership if you don't pay it. They don't tell you that you have to pay an increase. Every year you're going to pay a little premium, you know, and it goes up and out. We have enjoyed it and all of that. But I think we got manipulated. I think we got duped. Well, listen, nobody is trying to dupe you into yielding to the process that God has for us in his word so that we can change and we can grow. It's a personal decision. It's like a student pilot. He or she first has to decide that that is what they want to do. They want to learn to fly. The first step is to go to ground school and they have to learn the book knowledge, you know, the theory. You're not just going to go to flight school, jump in a plane and take off. They have to learn this, the terms and principles of aerodynamics and avionics. And then after a long period of time, the day finally arrives when you have to apply what you have learned to get you into the air, to keep you in the air, and then to bring you back to earth safely. 
Instructor cannot do it for the student. The student has to decide if they want to trust the information that they have learned to take this chance, to sit in that seat, take control of that yoke, is that what they call it? Work the instruments and the buttons, take off, fly, and land. It's their decision. The instructor cannot do it. Spiritual change or transformation is the same thing. We have to decide if we want to be a nominal Christian, in other words, just a Christian in name, or I always say a phenomenal Christian. Committed, dedicated, sincere. It's our choice. Some people start out, you know, they, they attend church and read the Bible and they listen to good teaching and preaching from the truth of God's word. But it doesn't take long to realize that we have to decide if we just want to be a Christian in name or we're really serious about it. It's personal. Only, only the individual can make that decision. And, and if we decide then Romans chapter 12, verse 1 comes into play. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And I always ask folks, there's supposed to be two distinct events in your life. One is salvation as a Christian. One is salvation, and the other one is personal dedication. Have you ever dedicated your life to the Lord? Where you, you take this verse, Romans 12, verse 1, you make it real in your life. You say, dear Lord, I want you to do a work in my life. I surrender my desires, my will, my goals, my eternal life to you. And I pray that you transform me and make my life into what you want. I can't do it on my own. I'm trusting you to do it through me. That's Romans 12, verse 1, where you lay your life on the altar and you say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. That's why it's personal. Sounds overwhelming, especially to a new Christian. Sounds uncomfortable. But remember, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. But think of that student pilot that day when he gets into that cockpit alone. And he sits in the seat and he takes control of the, the yoke and whatever else they do. And the instruments and the buttons and they begin to taxi down the runway. And pretty soon that thing is lifting off and he's in there by himself. She's in there by herself. I guarantee you, they say, good night, I can't believe this. This is me, <laughs> I'm flying. And they look down and they see all the little people down there, the little peoples, and the buses and the cars, and they see the clouds, and what an experience. And they fly around for a little bit, and then they land safely, and they did it by themselves. Why? because they were willing to trust and obey the instructions and principles that they had learned. It's the same thing 
in the Christian life. We've heard so many test testimonies of those who have trusted the Lord and yielded their lives to him. And how they have experienced the joy in their life because they trusted and obeyed what was said in his word. Prayers answered. Miracles occur. Specific circumstances that take place that only the Lord could have done. And they testify of that. We've read books on it. We've heard people testify in church. Some of us can testify from our own lives. I've always encourage people to keep a journal. You look back over your life and say, God did that, and God did that, and God did that, and God answered that prayer. And when we're facing difficult times, we say, if he did it once, he'll do it again. That's better than flying a plane by yourself. And these are the experiences that bring joy unspeakable and full of glory, that passeth all human understanding, that cause us to shout with thanksgiving like the psalmist and say, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. That's what it means to trust and obey. And that's why it's personal. Because your experience with walking in, with the Lord cannot be understood or experienced by someone listening to you sharing that with them. So you have to decide, is that what I want? Or do I just want to be a Christian who lives a nominal life? I'm a Christian. Or do you really want to experience what it's like to walk with the Lord and see him work in and through your life? The problem is that many Christians find it difficult to let God have full control of their life because they have been accustomed to taking control of their own life for many years. That's the problem. And it takes faith. Some new Christians are like the student pilot. The first day they take a tour of the facilities and the instructor takes them to the plane and they open the door and they look in and they, they see the controls and the instruments and the buttons and they say, not for me, brother. <laughs> that is why we have people pass through our church all the time, and they come and they stay for a little while, and then you don't see them again. Because just like you, we, we go to a church where the word of God is taught and preached in its purity, and we don't have the trappings. It's about living for the Lord and being serious about it. And some people, they don't want to do that. Um, I remember years ago, I led this young man to the Lord, and I was discipling him and praying with him and found out that he enjoyed playing racquetball, so I played racquetball with him. And he was coming along fine. And then one day, he just said, um, going out of state. Never heard from him again. No, my wife said to me, you know, don't, don't say that without explaining. Nothing is wrong with going out of state, <laughs> you know. But, but I think he just ran away because he couldn't deal with the truths of God's word. He, he didn't want to let go of, his, of control of his life. And, and let's face it, for those of us who are up in age and our hair is changing a little bit and we've walked with the Lord for a little while, 
The Christian life is not easy, amen? It's not easy. But Jesus said, take up that cross daily and follow me. There are trials and difficulties in this path that we're on, walking with the Lord. But thank God we have him to lean on. And the purpose of these trials and difficulties is so that God can use them as tools to build our faith and shape our lives, mold our lives. Because God's desire is that we should be molded into the image of Christ. That's why we're on this earth. So those difficulties are all worth it when we realize that we're going to have that inner joy, that power, that connection, because we have surrendered our lives to him. So it's personal. And no matter what has happened in our lives, God can mold us into what he wants. I love that passage over in Jeremiah where God sent him to the potter's place of work and, and he had this lump of clay that was marred and he put it on the wheel and he started to mold it with his hands and it was a picture of what the Lord can do with our lives no matter what we have done or how broken we are God can mold us into exactly what he wants us to be and that's why it's personal so transformation requires patience Transformation is personal, personal on our part because each one of us has to make that decision. And it's personal on God's part because he wants to yield each, I mean, mold each one of us uniquely for his will and his glory. So it's, it requires patience, it's personal, and then lastly, transformation or change is practical. Paul says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, that's the change, by the renewing of your mind. Be not conformed, the word conform means similar in form or to comply with. So what he's saying is, do not comply with the standards of the world. Do not be similar in form to the world, the world's system, the world's way of thinking. Don't live your life so that you fit in with the world's standards and morals. But instead, be ye transformed, be ye changed. And that word transform comes from our word metamorphosis. We think of the caterpillar. Kind of yucky, right? And all them legs and little ears, and you don't even want to touch it. And then that thing forms into a pupa, and then before you know it, a beautiful butter butterfly emerges. And all of us would love for a butterfly to land in our hands. We don't want the caterpillar near us, but the butterfly. Metamorphosis. So we can look the same and be the same and act the same if we have been transformed or changed. Paul says, don't be shaped by the world, but be metamorphosized. And how does this change take place? By the renewing of your mind. That's what it says, Romans 12, 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mi your mind. We have to think differently. And the reason we have to think differently is because our minds 
are the control towers of our lives. That's where the decisions are made, the choices are made, the morals exist, the meditation exists, the actions come from. You see, we are what we think. And that's what the Bible says. As a man thinketh, so is he. So in order to be transformed, we have to change the way we think. Before salvation, our minds were conformed to the direction of Galatians 5, 19 through 21, what, that Paul categorizes as the works of the flesh. Works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. All of those destructive. But Paul tells us that the process of transformation, when the thinking is different, is going to result in a totally different human being. So he says, how do you think differently? By applying Philippians 4 verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are just, sorry, whatsoever things are um, true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue or there be any praise, think on these things. Galatians 5, destructive thoughts. Philippians 4, verse 8, constructive thoughts. That's what will change us. But I am the one that's responsible to make the decision as to whether I'm going to follow the path of the destructive thoughts or engage on the path and process of the constructive thoughts. I have to make the effort. I must take whatever steps are necessary to start that process if I'm going to experience change or transformation. Nobody can do it for me. I must choose to change. And the Lord understands that we're human beings with these difficulties. He understands that we battle the old nature. So, you know, we're kind of behind the eight ball. We're at a disadvantage. I wish that the Lord had taken the old nature out when we got saved, but that's not his plan. And so what did he do? He gave us the Holy Spirit. It means, that word is paraclete. One who goes alongside to help. So we're not alone. And he can help us to replace the old sins with new virtues. Helps us to walk away from the difficulties, the anger, bitterness, jealousy, pornography, gambling, fear, worry, unforgiveness, comfort habits. All destructive. But it begins with our mind, with our thoughts. And what is God's gracious ingredient for our mind? His precious word. And that is where our scripture reading from this morning comes in. Psalm 119, verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. O oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. 
Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. It's the word of God that transforms us. Second Timothy says, chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God, the woman of God, the child of God may be perfect, not sinless, but settled and mature. May be perfect, thoroughly furnished or equipped unto every good work. It's the word of God that's the key. And once we understand this and we've decided that's what we're going to do, you know that little song, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. And then the other verse says, no, though none go with me, still I will follow. And then the third verse says, the world behind me, the cross before me. Simple, but such truth. Once we have decided that, then we have to guard what we have learned and what we have committed to the Lord. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Guard, protect what you've learned. Don't let anybody take it from you. And the way we guard it is very practical. That's why I said the third part is practical. Change is practical. Start the day with the Lord. End the day with the Lord. Replace impure thoughts with scripture. I think the thing that has helped me most in my Christian life is, life is memorizing scripture. So if you just take one verse a week... And I tell you, just to get you kick-started so that you're encouraged, John eleven thirty five. 35. Start with it this week. Jesus wept. <laughs> That's an easy one, Brother Andy. Say, man, that was easy. I can do this. <laughs> and then next week you pick another verse. By the way, you know why Jesus wept? I'll probably preach on that next time. Memorize the word of God. Share your faith with others. Because if we're genuine, we're going to tell other people about what God has done for us. And that's when you'll begin to experience the change, the satisfaction, the contentment, the fulfillment, the understanding of what my purpose on this earth is. What's the purpose of life? Because this is God's will for all of us, which is what Paul says. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You can testify of it because you've proved it. And there's no safer place than in the center of God's will. People change when they learn enough that they want to change. I think this is a great message for the first Sunday in 2024. So I pray that the Lord will use it in your life individually because each one of us here this morning is different. And that at the end of 2024, you can look back and say, yes, I have seen growth. 
I've seen change. I've seen improvement in my Christian life. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, just two questions. One, you say, Hugh, to be honest with you, I am not sure that I am a Christian. I'm not sure that I'm saved. If I died today, God forbid, I don't know for sure that I go to heaven. Please pray for me that I'll get that settled. Anybody in the room, in the auditorium with that, just slip your hand up, put it right back down. I'm not sure. Pray for me. All right. So as Christians then, you say, you know, God spoke to my heart this morning. Nobody's looking around. God spoke to my heart. And as a testimony, I just want to raise my hand that I am going to say, I am going to choose to change. If you're like that, would you slip your hand up? God bless you. God bless Oh, man, look at that. Many hands. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You can put them down. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, that you give us what we need for life and godliness. And it's, it's not difficult. It's, it's really practical. It's, it's so appropriate to, to life right now. We're living in a world of chaos and uncertainty and misinformation. And when we consider thy word, we realize, Lord, that to know the truth is to be set free. And so this morning, with, with all these hands raised, I pray you'd work in each individual heart and life. I, I'll never know who raised their hand this morning, but you know. And we raise our hands not, not, not just as an exercise, but to acknowledge, God, I heard you, and I want you to make a difference in, in my life. And so I pray, Lord, if there are those in the auditorium who raise their hand, who have never applied Romans chapter 12, verse 1, in that dedication of their lives to the Lord, that they'll do that today. They'll do that right now. And then allow verse 2, not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of their mind, which is taking in, applying the word of God, that they may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is my prayer for all of us not just for 2024, but beyond. And for all that you're going to do, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.